Heavenly Father, today I'm pumped about what you will do inside us through your Holy Spirit. And as you work inside us, may we know you better at the end of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a series of books that I grew up on that has changed my life forever. It's a five-volume set. No, it's not the Conflict of the Ages set, although that one has as well. It's Uncle Arthur's Bedtime Stories. If you know, you know, and if you don't know, you need to know, especially if you have kids. Y'all, the best stories on the planet are found in Uncle Arthur's Bedtime Stories. They're filled with life lessons that, that, may, that mold and shape kids to be God followers for the rest of their lives. And I could pick any one of those stories and share it with you today, but I've chosen one that is more impactful than any other, and I want to introduce you to a young man. His name is Robert. Here's a picture of him on the screen. There he is, Robert. Just a young buck. You may know this story. Uh, some of you are nodding and, and smiling because you've seen this picture before. Um, th- this story changed my life forever. Robert, young man, he had a habit. His habit was taking the biggest and the best for himself, always. It didn't matter what situation it was, he would always take the biggest and the best for himself. And his brothers made fun of him for this habit that he had, and his mother worried about him. She was embarrassed when he would do it out in public. And so she thought, as any good mother would, how can I help my son be not selfish? In fact, she, uh, she said, I'm going to call my sister. And so they, they figured out a time to have a dinner date, and they were all excited about it. The family was excited. Robert was excited. His brothers were excited too. They were looking forward to it. The night came. They went to the, the sister's house, the aunt's house. They get there, and as the boys walked in, they passed this buffet filled to the brim with desserts. Oh, there were pies there. There were cupcakes there. There were chocolates there. They sat down at the table and they started eating and they ate the main course. All the while, Robert is thinking about those desserts. You see, he likes some sweets. He's got a sweet tooth just like me. And he's looked at the pies and he sees the pies. And if you can see this picture, you'll notice one of the pies is much larger than all the rest. He noticed as well. He saw it and he said, that's the one I want. I hope I can get to it before my brothers get to it. They finished the potatoes. They finished the green beans and the plate of pies begins being passed around. It goes around the table. Robert's brothers pick this one of the smaller ones. He's thinking, maybe I can get it. It comes around the table. It gets to him, and the large pie is still there. And so he grabs it and puts it on his plate. He smiles ear to ear. He looks around at his brothers. They now have their forks in hand. They've dived into, into their pies, and you can see the blueberries and the strawberry filling. Oh, it looks so good. His must be even better because it's so much bigger. And he gets his fork, and he, he cuts down into the pie. And it's empty. (laughs) Tears come to his eyes and go down his cheeks, and he he looks around the table to see if anyone's noticed. They are not noticing because they're enjoying their good pie. So they eat their pie, and he eats his crust. (laughs) It's time for the cupcakes now. The platter platter of cupcakes starts going around the table. And and Robert's thinking, I deserve the biggest one now because I had a bum pie. I need the big cupcake with the extra icing. It goes around the table. It gets to him, and it's still there, and he takes the biggest one. Everyone else is already eating their cupcakes, and he takes the big bite out of it, and it's bitter. 
it tastes terrible. And he looks around to see if everyone else is tasting the same thing, but they're smiling and have icing on their cheeks. Ah, what's happening? Finally, as the chocolates get passed around and everyone's thinking they're going to have diabetes, I mean, who eats this much sweets at one meal? <laughs> he, he's looking at the chocolates. He's already spied two chocolates that he wants. You know how some of you are with chocolates. Uh, some of you, you, you like Russell Stover's. Those are good. I'm personally a C's candy fan myself. And if you're like me, occasionally, if you're curious about what's on the inside, you know you all do this too. You pull the chocolate out of the little wrapper and you kind of poke a little hole there just to see if you can see anything in there. Do you guys do that too? <laughs> you're not admitting it this morning. He's already seen the two that he wants, the ones with the caramel in there. Ooh, those are good. It's, it's, it's coming around the table and he gets the two and he takes a bite out of them. Oh, they taste terrible. Everyone else is enjoying, but Robert, who took the biggest and the largest for himself, they're terrible. And on the way home, his brother speaks words of wisdom to him as he says, Robert, maybe next time you should give the biggest and the best to someone else instead of taking it for yourself. Robert's got a struggle that I think everybody has. In fact, I've seen this struggle in my household. I've seen it in my own life. In fact, this story has changed my life every time I scoop ice cream for the family, every time I slice cake, every time I do anything, I have to think to myself, is the biggest and the best for me or should I give it to someone else? In fact, on Sabbath mornings, I see this every single week. In my household, we have something called Sabbath treat. Uh, it's something that my wife Jen has had growing up and she's brought it into our family too. It's, uh, it's uh, something special to eat on Sabbath morning. Sometimes it'll be um, those, you know, those sweet rolls with the orange icing on top. Those are good. Sometimes it's coffee cake. Are you guys hungry yet? <laughs> so sorry. Sometimes it's coffee cake. Oftentimes it's Danish, cheese Danish or raspberry Danish from Publix. That stuff is so good. And um, here's, the, here's the routine. After I have worked on my sermon here at the church on Sabbath mornings, very early, I'll go back to the house to get ready for church. And my son, Caffrey, he's the oldest son, and he's an early riser. He wakes up way before anybody else in the house. And he'll often be waiting on Sabbath morning for me to come home, and he's ready for a Sabbath treat. This morning, it was different. I got home and Caffrey was still asleep and my youngest son Canaan was wide awake waiting for me. And we go over to the Danish, I get a knife out and I have to think, okay, how many people do we have in our family? We have four. So I got to cut it in half and I'm a very good cutter. Smiths are great cutters. I can cut bread like a boss. So I look at this, this, this just Danish and I cut it in half and then you cut the halves and halves to make four pieces. But no matter how well you cut something, there's always one piece that appears to be bigger and better than the rest, especially when it deals with sweets. And so I watch the struggle that Robert has, and I see it in my own kids as they look at it, and they look up at me, they look back down at this Danish, and they have this same struggle. Do I take the biggest and best for myself, or do I give it to somebody else? The struggle that we face is a struggle with greed and selfishness. And I believe the only way to overcome those two is by being generous. In fact, this morning as we read a parable from Jesus, 
I'm praying that the Holy Spirit speaks straight to your heart and my heart and pushes us and shoves us if, if, he, if he has to so that we can be generous and selfless instead of greedy and selfish. This morning, if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a blue book in front of you. In fact, if you just, if this is your first time in a church, you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you. You can take it home if you don't have a Bible. Uh, And you can follow along on page 739. You'll read the same words that I read from my Bible. Now, I have to say that Pretty much uh, 95% of the sermons I've preached at Forest Lake have been from the New Testament and the gospel specifically. And I'll tell you, I promise we will get a bigger, more holistic picture of the Bible and, and in the Old Testament as well. But for today, and most of this series too, we're in the New Testament. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 7. I'll give you a little context before we get there. Jesus has been m- doing ministry, but not just healing and teaching people. He's also been going to heart-to-heart combat with the leaders of the church. He's fighting for the church. The Pharisees, the leaders of the, of the Jewish church, have, have been trying to trap Jesus. They've put him in positions where they think they can get him to do something wrong so that they can get rid of him. And so Jesus, he finds his way to the house of one of the Pharisees. It's after church. It's Sabbath. They're there for Sabbath lunch. They're sitting around a table. They're probably having haystacks. Can I get a witness, somebody? They're probably having the same debate that you and I have of what is the order of a correct haystack, but we all know that cheese goes on the beans to melt it before anything else. Am I right? Okay, that's, that's pretty confident. Maybe you have the same debate that we have sometimes if you need Fritos, tortillas, or Doritos. Doritos is definitely off the table. Come on now. Jesus is there with the Pharisees around the table. All eyes are on him to see if he'll mess up somehow, yet his eyes are on a man that's across the table from him. He's a man that has dropsy. I had to Google what dropsy was, and then I hit Google Images, and that was a mistake instantly. Don't do it. Trust me on this one. Dropsy is this um, intense swelling that's in your body. You hold fluids it's, it's, your skin is stretched to the max. In fact, if you poke yourself with your finger and you pull your finger away, uh, you have this indentation in your skin where your finger was. It's got to be painful. And Jesus, on Sabbath, he looks across the table to this man that has this, this uh, problem, and like, like a father to his son, he cups the man's face and says, be healed and go on your way. And the Pharisees can't believe that Jesus has healed someone at the dinner table, let alone on Sabbath. And so they have this question and answer time, and Jesus gives that verse that you've heard so many times, the one about the ox being in the ditch. You know that verse, right? You know it very well. That's the verse that we use to justify anything that we want to do on Sabbath. You've done that too, right? And finally, we get to verse 7 in Luke chapter 14, and I'll invite you to pull up a chair at the table and spread the napkin on your lap, as you look around the table, as Jesus is there too, here's how Jesus' story goes. Verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. It's a story in a story. He says this. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come to come say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You've got the picture. You're at the table. You can smell the food. There are no name tags at this table, but people just sit down at the table. Now, you have dinner tables at your house, maybe breakfast tables, and it's funny how everybody knows where their spot is. You just know it. You learn it very quickly. If I come to your house and you might have a long rectangle table, there's a head of the table and there's a foot of the table, and so often times people will have a, 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 the, the man of the house sit at the head of the table, sit right there at the top. And if you go to that house and you sit in his place, then you'll get some, some dirty looks. Maybe the kids will say, no, 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 that's daddy's place. That's where he sits. It's funny. We have places that we sit in church, right? You know where your spot is. Just a couple weeks ago, I drove up to Atlanta because I had to do a wedding there of some dear friends, Gregory and Annalise Burge. Here's a picture of them, the happy couple there. I drove into the parking lot, the gravel parking lot, got out of the car, walked inside to this wedding venue. I had to walk through the reception area in order to get to the wedding site. And as I walked through, all the tables are set. They've got beautiful tablecloths. There's flower arrangements on the tables. There are candles burning. It's beautiful. And of course, they have a place that's designated for the groom and the bride. Now, if you went to that wedding and you went to the reception, what would it be like if you sat down where the groom and the bride sat? You wouldn't do it. Can you imagine the, the, uh, the mother of the bride walking up to you and saying, excuse me, this is not for you. Please go to the back of the line. Or what if the DJ got on the speakers, uh, excuse me, sir, in the black jacket, uh, you are not allowed to sit there. That is the place of honor. I mean, you would be humiliated because you took what the person that was being celebrated, you took their spot. Jesus puts it completely different. He gives us some wisdom saying, it's much better if you take the lowest and allow someone to lift you up rather than you asserting yourself and taking the highest and having to be taken down. Jesus essentially says these words, you first, me second. You first, me second. You take the place of honor, I'll take the lowest place. You first, me second. And what Jesus says, he's, he's kind of plagiarizing. He steals this idea, it's not original to him. In fact, he uses the idea that Solomon gives way back in Proverbs. Here's what it says in Proverbs 25. He says, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and, and do not claim a place among the great men. It's better for him to say to you, come up here than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. What Jesus is talking about is really shame and honor, the difference between the two. He says it's better to be brought up than to be shoved down. See, this concept of shame and honor, it's really familiar to many of you, but in my white Caucasian culture, it's, it's different because usually in a Caucasian white culture, we think of things as guilty or innocent. 
You'll understand it. I mean, we think of who's wrong, who did it, who's the person that did the wrong thing. That's how it operates. But in other racial cultures, it's completely different, especially Asian culture. I mean, there's, there's bowing that happens in that culture. Or Hispanic cultures, it's oftentimes a shame and honor culture where um, you, you do whatever you can to not bring shame on your family, and you do whatever you can to bring honor to your family. But what's interesting about shame and honor is that it's not just about not doing something to shame your family, it's about receiving honor and you can't receive honor by yourself. Someone else has to give you honor. The only way that you can get honor is if someone else gives it to you and Jesus says, the one that is humble is the one that will be honored. The one that says, you first, me second. That's the one that brings honor. He says, Jesus says that the one that takes the lowest position is the one that takes the highest position. It's almost like Jesus quotes himself as he says, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. You first, me second. But Jesus, as he always does, he takes stuff to another level and I think in this next little passage, he takes it to a level of application where we can strive to be you first kind of people. Jesus, in verse 12, he gives us something that we don't do, and then he gives us something that we do do. Luke chapter 14, verse 12, here's what it says. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and so you'll be repaid. Pause there for a second. He says, that's what you don't do. He says, don't invite people with an ulterior motive that says, hey, come to this wonderful feast. Wink, wink, I hope you invite me to your feast too. Don't, don't invite people to come so that they'll repay what you've done for them. He says, do it differently. Verse 13, he says this. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says, guys, it's not about what you can get, it's about what you can give. He says, invite the ones that aren't like you. Invite the ones that can't offer to bring anything to the meal. Invite the ones that need you to give them a ride to the meal. The ones that don't have a good family life, that don't own a car, and that don't even have a toothbrush. The ones that smell, he says, you invite them, the ones that can't give you anything. He says, and you will be repaid, not with a fancy meal, but with the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus, he challenges me this morning, and I don't know if I like his challenge to me. Because he challenges me on what Christianity should look like. You see, right now, across the globe, Christianity looks more like people posting Bible verse memes or a picture of your hot coffee next to your open Bible to see how many likes and comments you can get than it does people serving other people. Right now, across the globe, Christianity looks more like what you can, the, the blessing that you can get from being a part of a worship service than the blessing that you can be by serving somebody else. 
Right now, Christianity looks like building a community of like-minded people that makes you feel safe and comfortable rather than it does leaving the community to go save the lost. And the problem is that Jesus didn't come to earth to die for Christians. He came to die to make disciples. Disciples that won't stop and can't stop until they've taken the gospel around the globe. Jesus came for people that would be you first, me second kind of people. And I'm challenged this morning by Jesus' words. Jesus shows the failure of Christianity if we only exist for ourselves. It's got to be others-centered. It's got to be you first-centered, me second. I'll put it like this. It's up on the screen here. Discipleship is not about what you can get. It's about what you can give others. Man, when the church can exist for others, that's when the world becomes changed. And until then, I don't know, it looks kind of bleak. Discipleship is following Jesus' example of thinking of others first. You, me, you first, me second. It's living a life of generosity, putting somebody else before you. And to be honest, I think that generosity is the easiest way to grow as a disciple because it's instant. It's not a a 10-week Bible study where you learn church doctrine. That's great. It's not sitting and memorizing Bible texts and, and books of the Bible. That's good too, but it takes a long time, yet generosity is instantaneously making your heart change to be more and more like the heart of Jesus. You first me second. And because I believe in leading churches to be more and more like Jesus, I want to help us take a step in that direction. And I'm going to be a little bit dangerous this morning. Is that okay? Whoa, man, you gave me permission. You don't even know what's coming. Not too long ago, I was asleep. And I was woken out of my sleep because I was dreaming about this sermon series about generosity and discipleship. And I thought, how can we take a sermon series and make it practical and make it applicable and make it real in people's lives? And I felt like God woke me out of sleep so that I could jot some stuff down. When he wakes me up in the middle of the night, oftentimes I'll get out of bed and I'll get my computer out and I'll I'll write it down because thoughts can only become reality if you make it happen. I don't want to lose the thoughts. And so as as I was thinking more about this sermon series, I thought, I wonder how many nonprofit organizations are around here. So I got on Google Maps and I just typed in nonprofits and they popped up all over the map. And I, I zoomed in a little closer to our church, as close as I could find to our church. And there was five or six or seven or eight of them. And so I, at 2 a.m. I, I sent out emails to these different nonprofit organizations outside of the Adventist network, people that are, are serving God from the, the heartbreak that he's given them. And, and I sent them emails. By eight o'clock in the morning, I had several replies. One of them said, well, we have an Altamont Springs address, but we're really from Gainesville. One said, um, thank you, but no thank you. And I said, well, thank you, but no thank you. I didn't say that. One of them said, Pastor Matt, we would love to meet you, and we'd love to tell you about our organization. So that next Wednesday, I, I scheduled an appointment. The Tuesday night before the Wednesday appointment, I got an email from, our, from Pastor Juan Martinez, our awesome young adult pastor, and he, he, he forwarded me an email from another girl in this organization. She had heard that there was a new pastor here and she wanted to meet me and he forwarded to me and I said, 
Pastor Juan, I literally have an appointment scheduled tomorrow morning to meet with them. And I thought to myself, is this a Holy Spirit moment? Is, is God directing this? Is he moving in it? I mean, I don't know, but I felt that way. And so on Wednesday morning, I went and met this organization. I want to introduce them to you. It's Commission 127. They get their, their title from James 127 that says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Commission 127 is pretty fantastic. I met them at their offices at about 8.30 in the morning. The door swings open, and I meet Rashad. Here's a picture of him. There he is, big smile. Betsy and Rashad Bell, they are the, they're the happily married couple that that founded Commission 127. Big beaming smile. I walk in there. Welcome. Come on in. We'd love to meet you. This is great that you're here. Come step into our boardroom. So we, I walk down the hall and we sit down in this boardroom and they begin to tell me what they exist for. It's Commission 127, which you can find them online if you want, c127.org. Uh, they exist for foster families, not to ask for foster families, they work with churches to come alongside families that are already fostering people, fostering kids. It's a support group. It's a network to wrap around those that are already fostering. And so they exist to help churches bring a meal or, or t take the kids for an afternoon so the parents can have a date day or, or just bring them a bag of groceries, whatever it is. It's supporting. It's a community around these foster families. And they told me story after story about what they're doing in our community. And I couldn't help it as I'm sitting there at the table and tears are running down my cheeks as I hear of the struggles and su success of these foster kids and foster families. And as I was just sitting there, I thought, man, how can we be a part of that? Now here's the thing. Those foster kids and those foster families, those are the ones that need invited to the table. Those are the ones that can't offer to bring something. Those are the ones that need a seat next to you. And here's where the rubber meets the road, and I'm gonna get a little dangerous here, because over the month of October and throughout this sermon series, I have a challenge for our church, and it's a challenge to rally around Commission 127. It's a, uh, this organization, and I think we can raise a bunch of money to give them. There's more to this picture than just money, and I'm going to talk about that over the coming weeks, but I think it'd be really cool to give some money to this group, this organization. Now, if you have questions about them, I had Erin Simmons, who's one of our awesome church members. She works at Advent Health. She works in the community engagement part of Advent Health. She vets organizations all the time, and when I told her about this, she said, I want to go meet them. So she did. She has, they have no idea that, that I know Erin and that Erin knows me, and she got the whole same spiel, too, and she came back and she said, Matt, they are fantastic. They are obviously doing really good things there. And, and so I have a, a vision, a challenge for our church to gather some funds and support them. Now here's where it's dangerous. I'm very aware that our church budget in this church is a little bit behind and we only have three more months till the end of the year and we've gotta get that figured out by the end of the year. I'm very aware that we have a warehouse project that the construction's gonna start here very, very soon, and I can't wait for it to get finished. Guys, that, that warehouse is gonna be a place of worship, but it's a place where we can have potlucks and we can have game nights and we can do all sorts of fun things there. I'm very aware that we have a very old church facility where we have to replace roofs and air conditioners and, and you name it. 
I'm very aware that we have a $4.8 million mortgage debt that hangs over our heads. I understand all that. And yet I believe that our church must take a step forward towards discipleship through generosity, especially on this right now. So I want to become generous by giving to Commission 127. I've made it very easy for you, for us. Let's take out our phones right now. Some of you already have them out because you were on Facebook and Instagram. That's cool, cool, whatever. All you got to do is open your camera app. You got to point it at the screen, zoom in on that QR code. You can open that QR code, and it takes you to the Adventist Giving website that's connected to our church. I talked with Roland this last week, and he already set up at the kind of under local church down at the bottom. It says, You first. That's this series that we're in. This is where you can give. You may have to register or you can just give as a guest. But I think that $5 or $50 or $500 can be a big thing, a little thing for us that puts them first and puts us second. Now here's the deal. You may not be digitally inclined. That's okay. There's tithe envelopes in front of you. You can put cash or checks in there. First service, man, they were, they were killing it. I don't know how much first service gave, but uh, we got some work to do in second service here. If you, if you want to give physically, you can put it in the, there's a metal container in the lobby you can put it in. Um, we're going to have this opportunity all month long. You kids, you can do this too. If you have a piggy bank at home, this can be a part of you too. If you don't have a phone, fine. To ask your parents, say, hey, how can I be a part of you first? Give a dollar, give a couple bucks, whatever it is. This is for your heart too. This is moving forward as a disciple of Jesus. Here's my goal, and I'm about to wrap up here. You can have this, well, you can have the QR code back or whatever. Here's my goal. October 30 is the last Sabbath of this month. It's when we end this sermon series. I would love to have Betsy and Rashad come to our church to give a presentation about what Commission 127 is. But unbeknownst to them, we have a big fatty check. You know, one of those foam checks? You've seen them before. Wouldn't that be cool if I was like, hey Vince, bring out the check. And he brought out this massive check and we said, hey, Commission 127 and the greater Apopka community, know this, that the Forest Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church is a you first, me second kind of church, that we exist more for others than we do ourselves. Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians. Here it is on the screen for you. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Man, that's what I want to be. I want to be a church that God blesses so that we can bless others, so in return people give thanks to God. May our generosity push us and thrust us and move us closer to Jesus as we become deeper and deeper disciples of Him.